This is Crescent Project Radio, bringing you powerful testimony, practical teaching, and exciting truth about God's miraculous movement in the Muslim world and how we as Christians can join Him in this kingdom work. Our goal is to see every Muslim have an opportunity to respond to the gospel and be connected to a true follower of Jesus. You can find us online at crescentproject.org. Have a comment or question? Email them to radio at crescentproject.org. We would love to hear from you and have a chance to respond on a future program. Hi, I'm Rashida, and you're listening to Crescent Project Radio, where we believe we have a hope worth sharing. Welcome to part two of this fascinating conversation with Dr. David Garrison, author of the book, A Wind in the House of Islam, and executive director of Global Gates Ministry. David, you've already shared so much with us, but I did want to hear from you about any barriers or obstacles to the gospel message in the Muslim world or even in the Muslim heart and mind that your research revealed. Well, we could uh, spend a lot of time on this, Rashida, but let me hit some of the high points and encourage people to take a look at my book to learn more about it. They can pick up A Win in the House of Islam on Kindle, or it's, it's available as an audible book. I go a little more in depth. One of the things I've discovered is that, you know, um, it's sort of like the fellow who said, uh, we have met the enemy and he is us. Uh, mm. Sometimes we found that we are the biggest barriers to Muslims coming to Christ because we have some um, unchristlike things in our own household. When the body of Christ, not just now, but, but through the centuries, has uh, tolerated injustice, has tolerated racism, it opens the door to Islam. Uh, yes. Muslims are not, it's not a coincidence that they have become the fastest growing major religion in the world and that they're spreading all over the world. They're very intentional, very deliberate. They'll actually study a non-Muslim society and they'll find the hypocrisies, they'll find the, the injustices, the racism, and they'll mm -hmm. exploit it in the name of yeah. Islam. And we've seen this uh, certainly in North America. Islam grew the fastest in the past few decades um, in the African-American community uh, because right. it was African-Americans who had been so victimized by racism and injustice in America. Mm -hmm. And many Christians just sort of turned a blind eye to it, were not empathetic, couldn't, could not uh, put their, themselves in the shoes of their African-American uh, brothers and sisters and, and neighbors, for that matter. And Islam came along and said, uh, we'll not only stand beside you, we'll fight for you. We'll fight for justice because all of you, in fact, used to be Muslims, which is a myth. But mm -hmm. uh, the Malcolm X you know, myth that um, my name originally was a Muslim name. In fact, uh, it was Muslim tribes in West Africa that sold their fellow Africans to the Europeans as slaves. So there's been injustices done to African uh, populations really for centuries. Christians don't have a monopoly on that, but Christians need to see their African-American brothers and sisters the way Jesus would. And when we don't, we open the door for Islam to come in and uh, say, we will fight for you. We will stand with you. Uh, mm -hmm. Come join us. And uh, it's shame on us when that happens. Yes. Um, so that's one thing we found more recently. Islam is growing most rapidly today, probably in North America, probably in the Hispanic community. 
Mm-hmm. And it's a similar thing. We've got some, uh, I don't know, 11 to 13 million undocumented Latinos, Hispanics in the United States who cannot get uh, a pathway to citizenship or to some sort of a resolution of their um, citizenship status. And as a result, uh, Islam, once again, is seeing our hypocrisy and using these people as laborers and as Mm -hmm. skilled workers, but not being willing to welcome them into our communities as equals. So Islam is coming alongside saying, "Let uh, let us fight your fight for you. So in that regard, frankly, um, Rashida, when we have met the enemy, we're looking in a mirror, and we need to be more Christ-like. We need to address these social ills, lest we relinquish the battle for the souls of men and women who are in limbo, unless uh, we take on what uh, Christ would have done and borne their burdens and uh, shared their plight. So that's one thing I've found. It's, I think it's, it's happened. I can give examples through history. In my book, I actually go into a little bit more of that. You know, a, a second thing that we found that's a barrier to Muslims coming to Christ is a lack of faith on our part. Uh, frankly, because we've had such unfruitful experience historically in bringing the gospel to the Muslim world, uh, many people just don't believe Muslims can come to faith in Christ, and so they tiptoe right. around them. And they're not willing to take the time to address the unique challenges that uh, the Muslim world presents. And as a result, if you don't believe, it's not going to happen because you don't expend the energy to persistently love and uh, share the gospel. I tell uh, some of my uh, Global Gates uh, missionary friends that we need a green eggs and ham missionary approach. And if you remember that little children's book, Yes. You know, this persistent little guy named Sam I Am who says, would you like it in a box? Would you like it with a fox? Would you like it here or there? Would you like it anywhere? And he goes on on a train in the rain. And uh, eventually he gets this uh, character to taste the green eggs and ham. And when he tastes it, he does like it. Yes. And too often, you know, we'll say God has a wonderful plan for your life. And when we get shut down, we say, well, these Muslims, they just don't respond. But the truth is, there's, they've got a thin veneer of resistance that was built into their religion. It was a religion, the only world religion that was, that was concocted in the full light of Christianity, and it was designed to defeat mm-hmm. Christianity. Mm-hmm. And if we don't get past that veneer of opposition, then they will never hear the gospel. But for those missionaries, and I love this about missionaries, they are passionate Sam I am type people who say, you know, would you like it in your own language? Would you like it orally? Would you like a video? Would you like it as a university student? Would you like it in the diaspora community? Would you like it here or there? Would you like it anywhere? Yes. <laughs> and as we keep presenting the gospel, we're learning how to be more effective as uh, communicators of the gospel to uh, the Muslim world. Yes. And along these lines, what about, I mean, you've talked about racism, but I also think that the history of colonialism in the Muslim world, and not just like a long time ago, but even how Muslims interpret more recent events up to these these wars that we're still trying to end in Afghanistan, Iraq, different places, 
the American and Western involvement in certain things, the way that they are interpreted affects just the, the Muslim worldview. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. In my book, I, I refer to it as imitating Islam. You know, Islam is one of the greatest, most successful uh, colonizing forces in the history of the world. From the time of uh, Muhammad's uh, last few years of his life and in the succeeding generations, you know, within 100 years, they had swept across North Africa. They had toppled the Persian Empire and defeated the Byzantine Empire. And they really never looked back. They've continued to expand and colonize. Uh, they're, they're an extremely effective, not, not only um, military force uh, historically, but even more so an assimilating force. Sharia, Islamic law, has been extremely effective in uh, suppressing opposition, suppressing minorities, and squeezing them into the Islamic religion. So when we try to imitate that, we are, we're actually playing right into the, the hands of uh, Muhammad himself because he was comfortable with that kind of a worldview. Uh, Arnold Toynbee said uh, Muhammad actually um, succumbed to the temptation that Jesus resisted. You know, Satan said, uh, bow down before me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Muhammad said, mm -hmm. I'm there. And to bow down meant to take up the sword. Jesus said no, and he turned the other cheek. And that's the way of the gospel, is to not go in militarily to think that we can defeat these powers. In fact, historically, Islam gets stronger when it's attacked. That's kind of the nature of the Muslim world. Hmm. Left to their yeah. own devices, they kind of become sleepy and complacent, and they're actually wonderful people, very hospitable, and they love to trade and interact with the world. But mm -hmm. When they feel an attack by an outside power, they galvanize their ranks together and they become actually much stronger than they were prior to that. So yes. when we fall into that trap of imitating Islam, thinking that just because we're militarily the most powerful nation on earth, uh, that we can conquer Afghanistan and Iraq and Iran and other places that we have a a conflict with, we're really taking a shortcut. And we're succumbing to that same temptation that Jesus resisted. Instead, what we've got to do is have the faith to go in as suffering servants, sharing the gospel, finding where God is at work, where people are having dreams and visions, making sure the gospel is sown widely in these Muslim communities, that they have access to God's word, Mm -hmm. And then uh, respond to where the Holy Spirit is stirring. And we, uh, that's, that's the secret to fulfilling the Great Commission in our day across the Muslim world. Yes. So it's been seven years since A Wind in the House of Islam was published. What have we learned since then about how God is continuing to move in the Muslim world? <laughs> well, I can tell you this. He is continuing to move in the Muslim world. I've told people many times that my book, my study, which was published in 2014, was something of a snapshot. And I was looking at what was happening. These were very conservative figures, but I was able to document some 84% of all the Muslim movements to Christ in history uh, mm -hmm. had occurred in our lifetime. And uh, that we were in the midst of the greatest turning of Muslims to Christ in history. But I could not guarantee that it would continue because Islam, as I've said before, was tailor-made to defeat Christianity, to assimilate uh, Christian populations into their ranks. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so I didn't know if it would continue or not. Uh, Islamic uh, law, Sharia, is highly effective in suppressing mm-hmm. other religions and suppressing Christianity in its midst. So I, I wasn't sure what I would find, but I do continue to get reports all across the Muslim world of Muslims turning to Jesus Christ in significant numbers. And there's there's sort of a um, a line in history that we've crossed that it's going to be very difficult for Islam to ever go back on because uh, the internet is still available and mm-hmm. uh, radio transmissions and satellite television and um, those sorts of accesses to the gospel are something that are not really going to be repealed. I think we're going to continue to see Muslims participating in the global village that we're all a part of. And as they are, if we will do our part as Christians, and engage them with the love of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're going to continue to see Muslims come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, at the same time, Rashida, it's as a result of these Muslims coming to Christ that we're seeing more opposition. We're seeing a hardening and a resistance among many Muslim uh, countries where they are trying to reel in the internet and uh, isolate themselves with more totalitarian states and more hostility toward uh, the outside world. I think when we see that, it's a direct result of them finding that within their own country, people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and it's something that uh, they're trying to find a way to to crush or to uh, oppress. But I don't know that they're going to succeed. Yeah, I pray it doesn't succeed, (laughs) for sure. So I'd really like to talk briefly about Christian conversions to Islam, because this is a subject that comes up in the news of celebrity conversions to Islam. And it's all over social media, YouTube videos of especially white Westerners converting to to Islam and sharing their stories on social media. And it's also a topic that Muslims like to bring up with their Christian friends in conversation. Based on your research into the history of Muslim-Christian relations around the world and just your research um, in general about what God is doing in the Muslim world, what insights can you share with us about this phenomenon? Well, it's a real phenomenon. And uh, I can say that um, we had a few years ago a, a young Muslim man in Texas who was considering Jesus Christ and was about to invite Christ into his life and went on the internet and he found all these testimonies of uh, Westerners who had become Muslim. And he, he said he searched in vain to find uh, YouTube videos of Muslims who had become Christians. And he said, why is mm-hmm. that? And I said, well, the answer is real simple. Uh, we don't kill our converts to Islam. But Islam, quite frankly, will kill people who have converted from Islam to Christianity. So they have a big incentive to keep their head low. And this is a part of Sharia. This is part of Islamic law. Even in countries where Muslims have signed the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights and declared Mm. freedom of conscience, the reality is that despite what their legal system may say in their constitution, many of those who would come to faith in Christ will will face face either social death or physical death or both uh, before they would ever get to a, a court of law. So we have to accept that that is currently the reality in the Muslim world and recognize that for a long time, Sharia has created 
a sort of a super highway with on-ramps only and no exits. Mm. So what I mean by that is that once you're on that highway, to exit is capital offense. And that's that way from one end of the Muslim world to the other, despite what they will say in right. uh, you know, these politically correct statements of, no, there's no coercion in Islam. Islam mm-hmm. began with coercion, and it's had coercion for 14 centuries. That's simply a, an inconvenient truth that we need to, to point our finger to and say, yeah, this is not acceptable in the 21st century, but it remains a reality. The second yeah. thing I, I say about that, about Sharia, Sharia actually means, you know, the, the road, the way, the street, and it is like a super highway and the on-roads it has includes all sorts of incentives. So we've found in our interaction with Muslims around the world that they love to incentivize uh, anyone to convert and join Islam. And once you join, you're part of the ummah, you're part of the fellowship, the community. But the kinds of things we've seen that uh, they'll use to incite people to join, you know, everything from uh, offering uh, financial compensation to offering jobs. We've had uh, dear friends in uh, East Africa who say they were offered jobs in uh, the Arab Arabian Peninsula. And they would be offered a job and no strings attached. They'd fill out the application. Then at the last minute, they'd say, oh, they want to know if you're a Muslim. You can just sign, say you're Muslim, and it's okay. It just means that you're, you're doing what you need to do to get the job. And there's been thousands who have fit in that category. There's other places like uh, Egypt where we've seen that, uh, whereas a Muslim man may have more than one wife, in the Christian uh, social law that uh, the Coptic church will oversee for the Coptic uh, Christian community, uh, divorce is, is not allowed. But if a man has an unpleasant marriage and he wants to marry someone else, all he has to do is say the Shahada, there is no God, but Allah Muhammad is his prophet, become a Mm -hmm. Muslim, and he can divorce his wife and start again with one or two or more wives. These sorts of things have been the case throughout history where there's been a second-class status for minorities in the country uh, who are religious minorities. But if they become a Muslim, then they're granted full citizenship, all the rights of a Muslim in the society. Mm-hmm. And these sorts of things, whether it's a, a taxation that's been placed on the minority population or not having full civil rights, these are the kinds of things that have led to thousands and thousands of, of Christians through the years and up to the present, converting to Islam so that they can have some full rights, social rights within their Islamic country. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell us about your current work with Global Gates? What prompted you to join this ministry and how are you seeing God at work here in North America? Well, I'm delighted to share about this, Rashida. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Global Gates is great friends with the Crescent Project, by the way. We love what you guys are doing and praise God for uh, our partnership and collaboration in this this corner of the Great Commission. You know, in 2000, around 2014 or 15, I was invited to New York City to visit the work of Global Gates. This was a ministry that had begun working with immigrant populations in New York City. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, I, I was never drawn to work in the United States. I just always had a calling to the ends of the earth. I was always drawn to the least reached people groups. And that meant living in places like the Middle East, North Africa, mm-hmm. South Asia, and so forth. But in New York City, I went in some neighborhoods there in, uh, on Long Island where they had uh, Islamic communities that were solidly, I mean, blocks and blocks of Yemeni Muslims in Brooklyn. And they were walking around speaking Hassaniya Arabic. And they were talking on their telephones with family members back in Yemen. And they were speaking only Arabic. They had madrasas and uh, Islamic schools and mosques. And uh, I think the thing that struck me was not just that there was this large concentration of Yemenis in this Brooklyn neighborhood, but it was the fact that they were talking to their family back home. And every day they were in communication. And I began to realize that these enclaves of immigrant populations in our global gateway cities in North America were not just enclaves. They were gateways. They were portals. And when you stepped into some of these neighborhoods, like in Harlem, you can step into an area they call Little Africa. And people are speaking Hausa and Bambara and Futafula various uh, Fulani dialects, and they're on the phone using WhatsApp, and they're talking to their families back in Guinea and in Nigeria and in Mali. Mm -hmm. And there's a flow of of life and communication that's connected to these these gateways that God has dropped down into our, our global gateway cities that I realized that this is a new day. When I went out as a missionary, even in the 1980s or again in the 1990s, you went overseas, you pretty much burned your bridges behind you. Likewise, those uh, immigrants who came to our country, when they arrived, they pretty much left the old world behind. But something was different today. There were these portals, these gateways, and they were staying connected so that when we reach them here, they are sharing the gospel with their friends and family back in the homelands from which they come. Yes. You know, a few years ago, Rashid, I was in uh, Belfast, uh, Northern Ireland, and there's, uh, they're at the library. They celebrate the legacy of C.S. Lewis. And if you remember his, uh, his little book series, The Chronicles of Narnia, uh, yes. one of the books was called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And the wardrobe was this big closet-like box that was in the children's bedroom. And they could step into that wardrobe and they would emerge in the land of Narnia. Yes. And when I was in Belfast, they actually created a little uh, statue there, a bronze statue. It's a park bench. And a man is sitting on the park bench and he's thinking. He's leaning over thinking. And behind him, there's a bronze statue of a wardrobe and the door is open just a little bit. And you realize they're replicating C.S. Lewis's imagination of how one might step through that wardrobe and into Narnia. Well, what I've discovered through Global Gates and what we've discovered is that God has created wardrobes in global gateway cities all over the Western world. And you can step into a wardrobe in Detroit, Michigan, and you emerge in Bangladesh. You can step into a wardrobe in Fremont, California, and you emerge in Kabul, Afghanistan. You can step into a wardrobe in uh, Los Angeles, and you emerge in Tehran, Iran. Mm -hmm. 
What we're trying to do with Global Gates is make sure that we flood those wardrobes with the gospel of Jesus Christ in the heart language, in the culture and context of the people groups that God has brought to our Global Gateway cities so that through them, we can take the gospel to the very ends of the earth. Amen. And so how are you seeing God work in North America? Can you share some stories? About what you're seeing God do. Sure. Are you are you in New York, by the way? I'm not right now, but Global Gates has its largest concentration of missionaries and work in New York City. Mm-hmm. We're in 29 cities now around around the world, mostly mm-hmm. in North America. We're in Toronto and Vancouver and Detroit and Washington D.C. and Metro New York is sort of like the mecca for all of this because every yeah. kind of group you can imagine. We're also in Houston and Dallas, Fort Worth. But um, wherever there's an immigrant population that has a sizable enclave, and there's so many that we're not yet touching, Mm -hmm. but uh, that's where we're trying to concentrate our work. And I spend a lot of time uh, traveling to these places, visiting with our missionary teams, and a lot of Zoom meetings during this pandemic as our folks have uh, tried to stay connected despite uh, 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 what's happened in this pandemic. But yeah, we're seeing initially, to be honest, uh, we saw a lot of opposition. I think a lot of, not just from the people we were trying to reach, but even more so from the churches that we were trying to bring alongside us because they did have sort of a, the word, the fancy word is xenophobia, fear of the outsider. Uh, they weren't sure they liked these immigrants coming into our country and they would sort of wish that they would go back where they came from. But we've been trying to encourage them to see these people through God's eyes. And, you know, and Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, uh, God gives us a wonderful, wonderful insight. It says, from, from one man, God made all the peoples of the earth, and he determined and set the times and places for where they would live and uh, what their boundaries would be. Uh, and what that says is that they're not here by accident. God orchestrated this. And it goes on to say, God did this so that they might possibly reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. And so we've tried to encourage the churches to see with the eyes of faith, to see through Christ's eyes, why did these people come here? It's not because of some bad immigration policy or because uh, we left the borders open. It's because Mm -hmm. God wanted them to discover the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's up to us, though, to bring it to them because we are it's Christ in us that's the only, their only hope of glory, because through us, they can hear the gospel and see the love of Jesus. And that's what we're trying to do. So initially, to be honest, there were several years there when it was an uphill push. But now we're starting to see churches wake up to this, to realize that, my goodness, this is not a, a bad thing. This is a tremendous opportunity. In fact, one minister of missions, he said this, he said, David, he said, I've just realized that for for over a hundred years, we've been sending our very best to the ends of the earth as missionaries. He said, and today the ends of the earth are sending their very best to us. What are we going to do about it? Right. And that's the challenge at Global Gates is trying to partner with the churches, walk alongside them to bring the light and love of Jesus Christ into these communities to see it not only reach them with abundant and eternal life, but spread through them back to the homelands from which they've come and to which they stay connected. 
Yes, yes. So we're, we've reached my final question, which is, you shared a lot with us today about what God is doing in the Muslim world in North America, um, in the Muslim world abroad. What final insights would you like to share with our listeners about um, how this all trickles down to the ministry that we are called to do with Muslims, whether they're here in the West or in the Muslim world, or we're even reaching out to them online? Yeah, I would just say to our our listeners that uh, the day when Christians can ignore or uh, tiptoe around uh, the Muslim world, those days are over. And Mm -hmm. I think there was a big wake-up call on 9-11 that uh, if you ignore the Muslim world, you do so to your peril. Uh, Muslims are wonderful people. These are Many of them are are God-fearing, moral, Mm -hmm. family-oriented, good, good people who would make wonderful Presbyterians and Methodists and Baptists and Charismatics. They just haven't yet met Jesus. And so I would say to our listeners, recognize that they are on God's heart. They have, uh, they are foremost on his mind because dreams and visions and conviction and answered prayers are bursting out across the Muslim world. We need to align ourselves with this day of salvation for Muslims that God has created and be a part of this incredible harvest. I just wish our listeners and those who are participating in this podcast, that they would just not miss this great, great opportunity that God has given us in our day to see the Muslim world come to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, David, thank you so much for your time, for sharing with us today. And definitely, I would encourage everyone, if they haven't picked up a copy of A Wind in the House of Islam, to read it. It goes so in-depth and and what God is doing in different corners of the Muslim world, um, which, as we even talked about a little bit in this conversation, it's different. What God is doing um, in different places, they have different, you know, different regions have different histories and cultures, and there's just different dynamics. And so it's a very worthwhile read. But thank you again for joining us and sharing um, some of the insights that God has given you through your research and your travels and many, many, many interviews. Would you, David, close us in prayer? Thank you, Rashida. Be happy to. Holy Father, we, we thank you that, um, that this is your mission. It's not ours. And that Jesus died for every single Muslim who's ever been born. He loves them. He, mm-hmm. he, he was thinking of them as he was hanging on the cross, taking on their sins, that uh, it's not just us that, uh, that you desire salvation for, but you desire that none would perish, no, not one. And so, Father, we pray right now for the Muslim world. We pray that, that you would give them these dreams and visions, that, that they would have access to, to the gospel, whether it's through video or audio or written word, we pray, Father, for our, our brothers and sisters here in the, the, the churches, that they would have faith and courage and set aside their fear and their hostility, and mm-hmm. they would have the heart that you have for Muslims, that they would see them as you see them, and that they would be relentless, like Sam I am, in bringing the gospel in a way that they can see Jesus lifted up, drawing all people unto himself. 
Yes. Father, we pray that you would use this uh, this conversation that Rashida and I have had for your purposes, for your honor and glory, that you would strike away any um, confusion or misunderstanding that might have inadvertently been communicated and that you would accomplish your good purposes for the sake of your great commission. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Crescent Project Radio. We believe we have a hope worth sharing. Learn more about Crescent Project online at crescentproject.org, where you can find all of our previous podcasts featuring testimonies from former Muslims, teaching and apologetics, interviews with ministry leaders and book authors, along with commentary on current events and ministry news. Email us your comments or questions to radio at crescentproject.org. Stay connected by subscribing to our bi-monthly email, Call to Prayer, which is focused on prayer for the Muslim world. We hope you'll join us again next time on Crescent Project Radio.